Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll begin there tonight in Revelation chapter 1. We do have a handout. I hope you have a copy of that handout. As a teacher, I can hardly do anything without a handout. Uh, this will hopefully help us stay organized. And the title of my message tonight is Applications for the Church from the book of Revelation, specifically chapters 1, 2, and 3. And the PowerPoint, hopefully tonight, will uh, give us the answer so we can all stay organized together. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 3. And the first blank that we're going to fill in there is this question. Blessing comes when we read, hear, and do what with the messages from the Lord. This is the revelation given to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. Of course, the Apostle John, John the Beloved, who walked with the Lord for three and a half years. The Lord gave him this revelation, we believe, sometime in the last decade of the first century, somewhere between A.D. 90 uh, and A.D. 100, when he was suffering there for his testimony. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, Christ, to show his servants, literally his slaves in the original, to show them things which must shortly take place. And he, God, sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. And here's a promise of a blessing. Would you like a blessing tonight? I want a blessing. What do I have to do? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and that's not enough. Let's not stop there. And those who keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now the word keep there, of course, is the answer to your first blank in our translation. That word is translated keep. If we're talking about a command, the word keep means to obey. But there are a lot of things in this book that are not commands, right? There are actually not that many imperatives in this book. There are some, especially in chapter 2 and 3. However, a lot of this is prophecies about things which must shortly come to pass, as he said in verse 1 and 2. How would you keep the vision of Christ in chapter 1 to fall down and worship him as he's presented there? How would you keep the prophecies, the terrible things that are going to come upon the world in the last days? I believe to keep those words would be to think about the seriousness of what we're looking at, to recognize that this world is doomed if they don't turn to Christ and to be appropriately sober, to be looking for his coming. Blessed are they who read and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things. We're talking about treasuring them up in our hearts. We're talking about digesting that spiritual food and letting it get down deep in our souls. And then your second point there, the point of the prophecy was not just to know what will happen, right? We're not talking about merely information. Most of the prophecies in the Old Testament, some of them we don't, if we try to understand the chronology, we can't quite figure it out. That's not the point. The point is to change our behavior, to call people to repentance, and to change our lifestyle. So the point of prophecy primarily is to change me based on the information that's given there. That's your second blank. Hopefully I'm not going too fast for you. 
And then number three, we're going to read in chapter 1 and verse 4, to whom does God speak? Now this might seem like this is not a newsflash to you, but I want us to think about the importance of this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. And so I think it's significant that God speaks to churches. There are New Testament epistles that are written to individuals. The book of Philemon would be an example of that. There are books that are written to pastors, First and Second Timothy and Titus. But primarily, the New Testament letters are written to churches. All right, so we believe that God speaks not only to individuals, but God speaks to churches. And so Pastor Jason spoke this morning about letting God speak to us in the Word. But it's not enough for me to have a good relationship with the Lord through my Bible individually. Christianity is not a solo sport. Christianity is a team sport, if I can put it that way. And if God is speaking to churches, I want to be in the church. And I want to be listening for his voice, reading and hearing and keeping those things which the Holy Spirit is speaking to churches. I also put a couple other verses there on point number three. If you look down with me at chapter two and verse seven. Chapter two and verse seven. I think I'm supposed to be clicking here and I forgot what we're doing. Uh, this is the wrong PowerPoint. <laughs> okay. Uh, we may just have to do without that. Sorry, that's, that's what I spoke on the last time. <laughs> that may have not got saved. All right, we'll be flexible. Flexible in the Holy Spirit is what the, the brother said, right? Okay, there were a lot of good things that happened before PowerPoint was ever invented. <laughs> okay, my apologies. God speaks to churches. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to whom? To the churches. Now what does it mean, he who has an ear? Do you believe he's speaking to people who have physical ears? Is that the point of this? I believe what he's saying is, in the church, and you notice the way he says it, here's the letter to the church. He says, all right, now he who has an ear, what he's pointing out is, there are people in the church who are not listening. They might have physical ears, but they're not listening. Either their mind is wandering, perhaps their heart is hard, perhaps they're unwilling to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. He who has an ear, do I have an ear tonight to hear what the Holy Spirit might say to me? Do you have an ear tonight? Is your heart open? He's talking about spiritual ears. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, another point to be made here is that Christ is the one who's speaking. If you have a red letter edition of your Bible, it is in red here, right? Back in chapter 1, John hears uh, a voice speaking to him as a trumpet. He turns. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended, exalted Christ, is speaking. And so it continues right into chapter 2 to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? Who's speaking? The Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, is speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos. But now in verse 7 he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we know, we're going to go back and read in a moment in chapter 1, 
that Christ is standing among seven churches. They were the churches in the seven postal districts of Asia Minor, which is today the land of Turkey. And so the Holy Spirit was speaking to those seven churches. I don't think any of those churches exist today. I don't know, Pastor Nathan, do you know, to your knowledge, I don't think any of those churches exist. But there were seven of them, and we know from the book of Revelation that number seven is the number of fullness. I believe he's speaking that the Holy Spirit speaks to local churches, but they're representative of the fullness of churches that exist. Not only through all those geographical regions, there was, of course, a church at Corinth, there was a church at Rome, there was a church in Jerusalem, there was a church at Antioch, but he chooses these seven in Asia Minor that are representative of the fullness of churches. And so the Holy Spirit and the ascended Christ are speaking to these churches, and I believe that he is speaking tonight to those who have an ear to hear. So if the Lord is speaking to churches and he says, he who has an ear, he's pointing out that we don't hear that unless individuals in those churches are listening, right? A church is a makeup of a number of individuals. And so he calls the individual, he calls me, he calls you to listen to his voice. Now, if you're like me, I don't even know how many church services I have sat in since I became a Christian in 1978. I'm guessing it's in the tens of thousands. I've been in a Christian school most of my adult life. When I turned 18, I went to Christian college. I was in chapel. When we... In those days, we had chapel even on Saturday morning, if you can believe it. <laughs> so Sunday, I was in church. I was in chapel six days a week. Then it became five. We do chapel three days a week here at IBCS. And I have literally been in tens of thousands of services, and maybe you have too over the years. And so it becomes the most natural thing to do to sit down, open up your Bible. Would we be so honest to admit that it can become old hat? It can be, become so common that... We don't realize the Holy Spirit is speaking to churches today. This is a sacred moment. It's a sacred moment if we make it that way. Now you know as well as I do that you can come into a church service, you can sit under singing, you can listen to a choir number, you can listen to a message. Your mind can be a thousand miles away thinking about your problems or some sporting event or what have you. Do we realize the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking tonight? This is a sacred, sacred hour. I believe I'm having more technology trouble here. <laughs> Give me just a moment. He who has an ear. Okay. <laughs> May my ear hold on here. All right. Flexible in the Holy Spirit. Number five, I want you to look with me at a very sacred passage and imagine John on the Isle of Patmos. John the Beloved who walked with Christ as a human being not that John was a human being but Christ as a son of man was a human being. He walked with those apostles for three and a half years. The Last Supper John the Beloved leaned back his head on our Lord on his chest as they were eating there. He was the one to whom Peter said, Hey, John, ask him, who is it that's going to betray? So he's leaning back on his head. He knew him in a very common fashion. 
Now John on the Isle of Patmos shares this, verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of, our, of Jesus Christ, the endurance of suffering for him, I was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner. He's suffering for the Lord. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now being in the spirit can mean walking in the spirit. I believe here it means he was in a prophetic trance. The Holy Spirit moved upon him in such a way that he saw this vision. I believe that that's what he's saying here. It's always a good idea to be in the spirit whatever day of the week it is here. But the Lord's day, of course, was the first day of the week that the early church chose to call that sacred day. It was sacred to them, so they called it the Lord's day. He's saying, I was in the spirit on this day, the first day of the week, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, that's a robe, and girded about the chest with a golden band. We know from the Old Testament, this is a picture of a priest. And we know that our Lord is a high priest and today ascended and exalted in heaven. The book of Hebrews tells us that he intercedes for those who believe in him. And so today he stands in priestly uh, role and this pictures him in a priestly role, but he's not like any earthly priest you ever saw. He's standing among seven golden candlesticks, skirted about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Can you picture that? Now, I went online to try to find some images that I might share in a PowerPoint, and everyone that pictures some kind of a picture, it's like, you can't even capture it. It almost feels blasphemous. And if I was an artist, I couldn't do any better. It's the idea that you cannot capture this. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Have you ever known somebody who could look at you and kind of burn a hole in you? <laughs> I think that's how our Lord appeared to John here. His eyes as a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Of course, a waterfall was one of the loudest things uh, that they would have known in John's day. His voice, he had already heard it as the sound of a trumpet. Now he's describing it as the sound of many waters. And this ascended Christ, appearing in high priestly fashion, had in his right hand something, seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. He couldn't look at it. You can't look at the sun. Right? This is how our Lord appeared, John the Beloved. Totally different than what he knew when our Lord was on earth. What would you do? <laughs> well, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. I think that's what I would have done as well. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. So number five on your blank there, the risen, ascended Christ serves in a high priestly role and Christ is glorious in this role. So when we picture our Lord today, we shouldn't picture him as you so often see him pictured as a man. We should picture him in this high priestly fashion. His feet are like burning bronze. That's, that's molten metal, right? Imagine what that looks like. And his countenance as the sun shining in his strength. And he stands among churches and he holds seven stars in his right hand. Now, I want us to think for a moment about the fact of how remarkable it is that our Lord appears standing among seven lampstands. Now, I was thinking today, I used to work in an art gallery of religious art, and Christ is often pictured holding a globe in his hand. It's the Savior of the world. They called it a Salvatore Mundi, the Savior of the world. In Latin, it would have been Salvatore Mundi. It was a picture that showed our Lord with a globe in his hand. And in those pictures, Judas was often appeared with a knife, showing him as a betrayer, as a murderer, essentially. And Peter was often pictured with keys in his hand as the one who held the keys of the kingdom. But here, our Lord chooses to appear among seven golden lampstands. What are those lampstands? We know from verse 20 that those lampstands are churches. And they're golden. And what does that communicate? It pictures that there's great value in the church. Now, if you know yourself, I think of myself, I think I have such feet of clay. And you do too. How amazing is it that Christ pictures the church as a golden lampstand? We're gold to the Lord. But our value is not in what we are in ourselves, is it? The apostle said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? Earthen vessels, to them, that's like peanut butter jars. You wouldn't put the most precious thing that you own, ladies, in, in a peanut butter jar. You'd get the china out, right? Serve that on Thanksgiving dinner. You pull out the china because it's a special occasion. You want to present that in a good way. And Paul says, we've got the treasure of the gospel in peanut butter jars, earthen, clay pots, so that the glory is not in the container the glory is in the gospel. We are not golden because of ourselves. Do you feel golden? We're golden because the light of the gospel, which can bring people to eternal life, is in us because we know the gospel and we have the ability to share the gospel. The church is a golden lampstand. I also want to share a more mundane, mundane illustration. I have a friend at our church back in South Carolina. When we took pictures for the church directory, he wanted to appear with a trumpet in his hand. Because, why? That was part of his identity. He was a great trumpet player. He had a doctorate in trumpet performance. And when he went on those high notes, you couldn't hear anything else in the church <laughs> except that trumpet. 
Well, if I could do that, I would want part of my identity to be that as well. So when you looked at the church directory, you saw him with a trumpet in his hand. That was part of his identity. You could say he was Mr. Trumpet in our assembly. All right. Think of all the ways that our Lord could have appeared. And later in this book, we're going to see him presented as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John appears, turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. So Christ is going to appear as a lamb who's standing and yet as if he was just slain. Explain that. A lamb standing who's just been slain. Most lambs have just been slain. They're not standing. They're, they're lying on the ground. Here's a lamb who's been slain and he's a lion, but he's standing. And here he stands as a high priest and yet he chooses not to be pictured with a trumpet in his hand. He's got seven stars in his hand and he's standing among seven golden lampstands. And in chapter 1 and verse 20 we read, the mystery, what is this? Of course, John sees his image, he doesn't know what it is. And so Christ says to him, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now it's helpful to know that the Greek word angelos, which is translated angels here, is simply the word messenger. And so an angelos, whether it was a divine being, the angels which God created that we speak of as angels, whether that's that divine messenger, uh, he makes his messengers as uh, a wind, it says in the book of Psalms, or whether that angel is a human messenger, that word means a messenger. So the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now look at chapter two and verse one. Remember Christ here is speaking to whom? He's speaking to John the Beloved, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos and he says, this message that I'm giving you, I want you to give it to the messenger at the church at Ephesus. So who is this? Is this a divine being which is invisible? Is it what we would call an angel? Or is it a human angelos? Is it a human messenger? Well, John is supposed to give this message to the angelos at the church of Ephesus. Well, does a specific local church have an angel? Does Tri-City Baptist Church have an angel? The Bible tells us that children have an angel, right? He says, you better be careful the way you treat a child because their angels behold the face of their father in heaven. What he's saying is, the angels of a child, they're right around the throne. They're not way back in the pack. They're right up there where they behold the face of the heavenly father. So they have their own personal angel, we would conclude from that, guardian angel. Does a local church have a guardian angel or is this speaking about a human messenger? Well, if you were John and Christ gave you this message to give to the angel and it's a divine angel, like, how would you do that? How would you go find the angel of the church of Ephesus? All right, the messenger of a local church is the pastor. He's the one that gives us a message that God speaks to, right, during the week and then 
on the Lord's Day, he brings us a message that is a pastor of a local church. And there was a pastor at Ephesus, there was a pastor at Thyatira and at Smyrna and so forth. And what this is telling us is that the Lord speaks, I don't mean he gives an audible voice or an inspired message, but he speaks to the pastor of a local church. And I remember when I discovered this, when I was at our church in Oklahoma, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I desperately want to hear what my pastor is going to say to me on Sunday. <laughs> if God is speaking to the messenger of a local church, and that's my pastor, that doesn't mean he's perfect, doesn't mean he's inspired in everything that he says. It does mean that God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to that man, and God speaks to a church, and I want to know what God is saying to him. I want to be there and hear that message. And I don't want to go home on Sunday dinner and cut up my pastor's message with my turkey. You know what I'm saying? You want to go home and be critical. He, he should have said this, and I didn't like the way he said this, and I didn't like the choir number, and like, you're taking the messages that God gives to the local church. You're not listening. When we think like that, we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit has in that sacred moment through the messenger at the church of Ephesus or the church of Tri-City Baptist Church. Look down with me, please, at chapter 2 and verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How does the Spirit speak to the churches? Through the pastor, through his word that he's written. And so we reverence the messages that our pastors give us, don't we? All right? We don't see them with their feet of clay and with their, their flaws at that time, do we? We reverence the word and the message that's being given through them. So number seven there, the ascended Christ stands among churches. In chapter two, verse one, I want you to notice with me, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Right, so first we saw him standing among seven golden lampstands, which we now know to be the churches. Now it says that he's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Well, to stand among them is one thing, that's great enough, but now we see that he's walking among the churches. What would that communicate to you? He's walking, he's moving among the churches. He's saying, if you've got an ear, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And the Holy Spirit is moving among this local congregation at this time while I'm speaking. Not because of me, but because this is the Word of God. He's moving. And those who have an ear to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, I don't mean an audible voice, you know what it is to have the Holy Spirit speak to you. This sacred transaction is going on as we speak. And we trust that God the Holy Spirit is ministering to us through his word. He's walking, he's moving among the churches. Now, you read chapter two and three, you read about those churches? Were they perfect churches? Absolutely not. Were they golden in the mind of God? They were golden, not because of their perfect humanity. They weren't. They were very flawed. You read some of them, you think, if I was in that church, I'd leave that church. I would separate from that church. 
I wouldn't have my youth group you know, have an activity with the youth group of that church. There are terrible things going on in those churches. And yet, God the Holy Spirit and the ascended Christ was walking among those churches. And they were golden because in some sense they had the light of the gospel in those churches. And he was speaking to those churches. Does not excuse the flaws and the sins that those churches had. Number eight, we are lampstands. What does a lampstand do? A lampstand has one main purpose. It doesn't make music, doesn't feed you, doesn't make coffee, as good as all those things would be. It gives light. Now, how many ways could the Lord have pictured the church? Other passages, we are the bride of Christ. In other passages, we are the temple of God, Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 2. It's a building in which a deity dwells. It's a temple. In other passages, we're the body of Christ, but here we're pictured as a lampstand to give light. How are we doing on light giving? What does it mean to give light? When's the last time you shared the light of the gospel with someone? Now, your main role in life may not be to be the words on the sign which shares the gospel. Maybe you're a screw on the post that holds up the sign that gives the gospel. However, if we are lampstands or part of a lampstand, I believe that we ought to be giving the light of the gospel every opportunity that we have. We could say, well, I'm not gregarious and I don't know all the answers and I'm worried if they ask me a question. And Well, if we're fishers, if we're following Christ, he makes us fishers of men, right? We don't have to be perfect. We have the light of the gospel in us. Let's share that light in every way that we can. We are lampstands to give light. Number nine, the ascended Christ holds the messengers of each church in his hand. In some sense, the ascended Christ holds pastor ending in his hand. When you hold something in your right hand, you have a sense of control, you have a sense of protection. When I want to do something, I put it in my right hand. I don't put it in my left hand, right? The right hand is the hand of power, the hand of strength, the hand of ability. You're going to use that pastor. And number 10, as I've already said, the messenger of the church, this has to be referring to the pastor of that local church. Number 11, the ascended Christ through the messenger to a church speaks these things. Now, if you read chapter 2 and verse 3, I'm just going to summarize the kinds of content that our Lord gives to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Most of these churches receive some form of commendation. And our Lord is good to commend us when we do right. But there's a mixture. He also gives encouragement. He also gives rebuke. Most of these churches receive some form of rebuke. He also gives calls to repentance and promises to overcomers. I want to camp on this idea of repentance for just a moment, and you can do a search and find out four of these seven churches 
the Lord calls to some form of repentance. But what is repentance? Repentance is changing my mind. When I was an unsaved uh, junior high student, I was a shoplifter, uh, something for which I'm ashamed. I stole many things. And finally, I got tired of getting caught and got tired of getting in trouble, so I quit stealing. But that's not repentance. That's getting tired of the consequences. When I got saved and I stood at a cash register and somebody gave me more money back than I should have gotten, I said, actually, you gave me too much money. I gave it back. I felt this overwhelming sense of joy. And I realized God had changed me. My heart was different. I'd been reborn. I had repented of my sin. There was something that happened deep in my soul. So repentance is to change our mind. Now, if my purpose is to be a lampstand and I'm not reaching out to people and sharing the gospel, I need to repent. What does that mean? Well, I can sit here and I can say, I need to be a better soul winner. That's acknowledgement, but that's not repentance. Repentance is changing your mind. How am I going to go about soul winning? Well, I better carry a New Testament. If I don't have a New Testament, how am I going to share the gospel with somebody or a gospel tract. If I'm changing my mind about being a testimony, I'm going to begin carrying a New Testament. I'm going to carry gospel tracts in my car. I'm going to say, God, I'm afraid, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, I'm a little nervous, I don't know what to say, but help me to be a testimony. That is repentance. It may not be perfect, may not happen overnight, but repentance is changing my mind about what God asked me to do. What is the Lord touching your heart about tonight? Is there anything that I need to repent about that you need to repent about? Probably the first thing that comes to your mind is the primary thing that the Lord wants you to repent about. Now, you may have been a Christian for decades. When we're little kids, we are kind of in change mode and growth mode, right? But when we're middle-aged or older, we're like kind of arrived and done the adult thing and now I'm approaching retirement. It's like I'm not in repentance mode. I'm not in growth mode. But God to this day calls us to repentance. And the Lord promises things to overcomers. God wants us to be overcomers and have victory. Number 12, this only happens if individuals in churches Respond. Could you be a light like the Apostle John? Well, you think of him as a great apostle, right? He was boiled in oil for his testimony, church history tells us. I don't think I could do that. I know I couldn't do it in my own strength. But I want you to think back about the Apostle John when he was on earth, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And of all things... John and his brother James went to Christ and said, hey, we, we have a request. Would you mind if in the kingdom, when, when you're reigning, could we sit one on your right hand and one on the left? Would that be okay? <laughs> like, how embarrassing. When Mark wrote his gospel, I can see John going to him and saying, Mark, why did you have to put that in there? That is so embarrassing. Like, you ever think of something you said and just wish you could crawl under a rock? Like, how could I ever say that? He actually wanted to be first and second in the kingdom. Like, that doesn't sound like apostle material to me. Does that sound like a great Christian leader to you? But look at him in 8090 on the Isle of Patmos. 
getting this vision, this exalted vision of Christ, and he's lived his whole life as a testimony. He's willing to die for the Lord. He's suffering for the Lord. It's like, how did that happen? That happened because this man listened to Christ when Christ spoke to him. And when he came and asked, can I be first and second in the kingdom? He said, listen guys, to be great in this earth, it's not to be promoted, it's to be a servant. You wanna go up, go down. It's the servants, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and John listened to that. And John repented. He changed his mind. There came a day when he was so embarrassed that he and his brother had said that. Maybe James put him up to it. I don't know. Well, his own mother came to the Lord and said, hey, can my sons be first and second in the kingdom? So, okay, it runs in the family. That doesn't excuse it, right? My point is, John responded. He listened to what the Holy Spirit said to him. And that's how a great servant is made. And we can be one of those people that listen to the Holy Spirit. So let's grow and let's respond to what the Lord is speaking to us tonight. Primarily the emphasis tonight that I want to leave us with is to be a lampstand to give light. Of course, the star in our Lord's hand, a star is a thing of light, isn't it? And I have asked a couple of our men, Brother Jason Stinson and Pastor Nathan to come. Pastor Nathan's gonna come first and uh, come to the platform and lead us in prayer that we will respond to the Holy Spirit and that we will be the light that our Lord wants us to be. Let's pray together.